Hi everyone, welcome to Inspire to Aspire. For today's episode, we have a very special guest who will be able to share some insight on journalism as a whole and also her experiences in working at the Los Angeles Times. I'm very excited to introduce LA Times education reporter Paloma Esquivel. Hi, thank you for having me. Thank you so much for being on the show. So for starters, can you introduce yourself? Uh, Sure. So I am Paloma Esquivel. I'm a reporter at the LA Times. I focus on um, education issues and I've been at the LA Times for about 13 years now doing um, a wide range of reporting on on various issues um, and different areas, um, mostly for our California section. Yeah, that's awesome. So kind of backtracking to the very beginning, what experiences led you to reporting for the LA Times? I had a very untraditional uh, path to journalism. I never thought about doing journalism in high school or in college. Um, And when I graduated from college, I wasn't sure what I wanted to do. So I did, um, I I started on the path to a teaching credential. I did some substitute teaching. um, And then I started to work in radio at a Spanish language radio station in Riverside. Um, And all of that combined led me to um, want to eventually go to journalism school. So I uh, was lucky enough to get into a master's program at Syracuse University um, in, in print journalism. And, um, and that really put me on the path to, to eventually working at the LA Times. I freelanced for about a year after that and then um, got a job at the LA Times through its MetPro program, which is a program for um, young um, reporters starting out in their careers. Um, and, and that was sort of my, my first job and I've been there ever since. Yeah, I think it's really interesting how you didn't really follow a traditional path into journalism and then reporting for the LA Times. Um, I thought especially for big newspaper circulations like the LA Times, it was important to follow a more traditional path of majoring in journalism in college, um, doing internships, and then working as a reporter. But your journey of becoming a journalist certainly proves that belief to be wrong. So how have your experiences in the education and radio industry shaped you as a journalist? I think it's definitely more common to have that path that you talked about, right? But I think for me, it was, I, I really value those experiences that I had as, um, as a substitute teacher. First of all, it put me in the classroom. So now that I'm covering education, I have at least that perspective um, of, of having been in schools and classroom settings for a couple of years. Um, and then radio for me was really informative, especially working in Spanish language radio, because um, I saw how crucial that um, medium is to the community, to informing the community, how much people relied on us for just basic information about what was going on with uh, schools, what was going on with you know, policing, what was going on with just all of the major issues, people in the community turned to us and relied on us. And I always have that in the back of my mind, you know, that that is, that's the purpose, you know, it doesn't, you know, it's great to have a really beautifully written story. It's great to have um, stories that win awards, but at the end of the day, the purpose is to inform the community. Um, And so I'm I'm really grateful for that experience in radio that kind of gave me that foundation. 
Yeah, definitely. I think it's great how you were able to kind of tie all those careers together and then incorporate what you learned from those careers into journalism. So the Pulitzer Prize is an extremely prestigious award given to writers, journalists, and musicians. Um, I read that each year there are over 2,500 entries and only 21 awards are given out. So what events led you to receive not one, but two Pulitzer Prizes? Yeah, I was very lucky to be one of the great things about working at the LA Times is you have these incredible colleagues who are just, you know, amazing at what they do. So in both cases, I was part of uh, big teams of people that came together to cover these stories. Um, in the first one, it was the story of um, the city of Bell and um, a lot of corruption essentially that was happening there at the city level. Um, and I teamed up with with several other reporters who just embedded into that community, spent a lot of time there, really got to understand and know the community and write about um, issues of, of corruption that had been plaguing that community for, for uh, many, many years. Um, and then in the, the second case, um, I was the uh, reporter assigned to cover the Inland Empire. Um, I was living in Riverside when, um, when the mass shooting um, in San Bernardino happened um, December 2nd, uh, 2015. Um, and so I was 10 minutes away when we learned about that, that shooting, I got in my car and drove there. I was one of the first reporters, um, the first reporter for the LA times there on the scene. And I, that ended up being a story that I covered for months, um, after that, but that was also a big team effort where, you know, we had reporters also get in their cars from LA and, and head down there and, and spend weeks, um, reporting on what had happened there and that that terrible terrible situation that really just was devastating to to the community there mm -hmm. yeah i remember that event being all over the news for weeks and just so many people devastated at that tragedy um, what was that experience kind of like as a journalist in interviewing people after such a tragedy happened yeah, I, that's a really, really difficult thing. You know, I think that, I think I learned a lot from that experience because um, as journalists, part of our job is to go and try to talk to people immediately after something terrible happens. Um, and your instinct, um, I think as a journalist, right, is to um, want to go and get the story. You want to go and you know, you want to tell that story from, from the people, from the perspective of the people who have been affected. Um, but I think that it's also important to respect people's boundaries and respect the fact that not everybody wants to talk in that moment. You know, you kind of have to put yourself in their shoes and that's a really hard thing to do, but, but, um, so it's sort of finding that balance between being there for the people who want to tell their stories, because that's important. That's really important. Allowing them the space to do that, but also um, knowing that not everybody wants to do that and trying to just be very, very respectful um, of that, you know, not pushing too hard and not um, sort of uh, just not, not being in, in, 
people's faces in a time when they they are they're struggling you know so it's it's it really really is about that balance and I think that that story that's something I reflect on a lot now um is just really trying to to in in stories like that always keep in mind that that people are suffering and you have to find a way to to be respectful of that yeah, I can't even begin to imagine how devastated the people of the city um, might have felt. It was truly a shocking event, and I think that's when the core and purpose of feature journalism is revealed. Um, on the topic of feature journalism, we'll be discussing that after we take a short break. And when we come back, we'll talk more about feature journalism, Paloma Escoville's process when it comes to writing articles, and some advice she has for youth journalists. We'll be right back. Do you have someone from a particular career field you want to hear from? If you do, head on over to at inspire2aspirepodcast on Instagram and fill out the speaker suggestions form in the bio. I'm always looking to get suggestions on who I could feature next and how I could help you inspire to aspire for your goals. While you're there, be sure to give at inspire2aspirepodcast a follow to stay up to date with the show. Now, let's get back to the episode. And we're back. So now going into specific articles, is there a particular article that is really memorable to you? Yeah, I, it's like, sometimes I go back and um, it's like a blur of stories over 13 years, right? <laughs> it's like, oh, I wrote that, I forgot that. <laughs> um, I think this year has definitely been, you know, some, some um, memorable stories just because it's such a, a unique year. This year I was really proud of um, a story that we did on the education team that delved into looking at how um, school districts had responded to school closures and the uh, resulting inequity in how um, districts uh, that tended to have more low-income families were a lot slower to distribute computers and, and Wi-Fi to their students um, than, than districts that are a little bit more well-off. So um, and you know, that has a huge impact on, on students. If you don't have a computer, if you don't have a Wi-Fi device, you can't, at, at this point, you know, with schools closed for the most part, you can't go to school. Um, so that, I was really, really proud of that story. That was also a team effort and it took a lot of work because we sent out surveys to dozens and dozens of, of superintendents um, and we're lucky enough to speak to many of them. Um, and I was, I was just really proud of the fact that we, you know, we went the extra step of, of not just sort of telling anecdotal stories, but trying to get some kind of data together of a, of a large group of, of uh, districts to show sort of the patterns of what was happening. Yeah, I love that article. I actually got the chance to read it. And it was really interesting how it showed so many perspectives as to what's happening in schools right now. So in terms of your process in writing an article, what's your process like in finding people or a specific angle of a topic to write about? Um, I think the most important thing for me is just doing a lot of reporting. Um, so you definitely, you know, you go into a story kind of having a sense of what the angle might be or kind of having a sense of what, um, you know, what particular thing you want to tell about a subject. Um, but you don't always know what that's gonna be. So I, I, I really feel like it's really important to just report, 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 
And then that's going to tell you what the most important thing is or what the angle should be. So, yeah, I think that, that for me, it's just a matter of talking to as many experts as I can, talking to as many people who are being affected by um, something as I can to try to um, really understand the thing before you even start um, trying to think of how am I going to frame this and how am I going to put this together. Mm-hmm. And in that process, how do you connect with interviewees to get rich and in-depth quotes? Um, yeah, again, it's like interviewing many, many people um, as possible uh, subjects for a story um, until you find that right person. Um, because you really need, for a feature story, I think you really need a person who is kind of willing to be open and to um, talk you through their thinking and talk you through the way they do things, uh, especially right now with everything closed. So much of reporting is is by phone. So nor in normal times, right? If I were doing a feature story on somebody, I would just go and follow them around for a couple of days, and that gives you insight, right, into you know who they are, how they function, um, and that's really helpful. But right now. It's, it's a lot more challenging to do that. So you need to be able to talk to somebody um, who is just going to kind of walk you through those kind of things. So it's a lot of it is a matter of is it just interviewing a lot of people until you find that right person who, who um, is open and, um, and kind of talkative about, about the things that you're interested in. That, that, I think that really makes a huge difference in, in the story at the end of the day. Mm-hmm. And I know you write a lot of feature articles, so I'm curious, how do you find people to write about? Yeah, I mean, that's the big challenge. It's, it, you know, I've been doing this for a long time. It's still hard. <laughs> Sometimes you'll come away from an interview like, oh, I don't think I can use any of that. And it's not that they, what they said wasn't interesting. It's that, you know, it may not be the right quote. It may not have been said in, in the, you know, a sort of simple, succinct way. Um, and so that's really hard. One thing um, I'd say is like, you don't have to rely on quotes as much as sometimes we think we do. So sometimes just describing what a person is saying is fine. Um, it doesn't have to be that perfect quote. Um, and then the other thing is just really listening to what a person is saying. And if they are um, expressing something, but not in maybe a, that that is, relevant to the story, but they're maybe not doing it in a, in a quotable way. Um, I'll often just go back and say, um, you know, so is this kind of, am I understanding you correctly? Is this what you're trying to say? And then try, and that it's essentially trying to get them to say the same thing in a different way. <laughs> um, and, and, and you sometimes I'll do that like two or three times um, until you can kind of get it um, in, a, in a succinct kind of quotable way. Yeah, definitely. I know you mentioned that listening to people is an important part of the interviewing process. So how do you make yourself a more approachable person that makes people want to tell you their story? I think people know when you're just trying to get information out of them. And I think they know when you really want to like listen and understand. So I think that a lot of it is just coming from that place where you're genuinely interested, you genuinely want to hear what they have to say, and you're genuinely listening to them. And um, 
and and that just means you know doing that <laughs> uh, and sometimes that's hard like it's hard if you're on deadline right if you have a story you have to submit in an hour or something and you're calling and you have to kind of quickly do something um that's hard but it it really is just trying to be respectful of each person and hear them and listen and make time for the things that they're saying um and and let it you know it it really is just paying very close attention to what they're saying, you, you know, not necessarily just having a list of questions that you want to ask and that you want to get through, but um, making room to, to hear what they're saying and then to, to ask your questions based on, on that. Mm -hmm. I also think it's so important when interviewing people to show that you really care and want to listen to their story. And especially when we have deadlines to meet, it could be a really hard thing. So you've been reporting for a long time now, 13 years. During that time, how have you grown to be a more well-rounded journalist so that you can report on a variety of topics? I think the when I started in journalism, I was a strong writer, and that's always been helpful to me. Um, the thing that I needed to really learn is to be a better reporter. Um, and the thing that I have really learned is like, you're never going to be able to write a really great story unless it's really, really well reported. Um, so over the years, the things I'm really super grateful to have learned is like a lot more about um, how to do records requests, how to look at data, um, how to really delve deep into a subject and try to understand it um, so that your stories have depth to them, you know, so that they're not just sort of surface um, examinations of things. Um, and I, I think that that really has, has been the key. It's like, for me, everybody's different. Some people are incredible reporters um, and struggle with writing. Some people, um, you know, are amazing at data. Um, it, it, everybody has their own strengths, but for me, it really was, um, you know, I, I was a good writer. I still have, have to work on it. Every story I have to work on writing because writing is never easy and it's always a challenge. Um, but for me, it was really focusing on being um, a better reporter and ensuring that for every story, I'm talking to lots and lots of people and getting lots and lots of perspectives. Um, and also looking at if there's data, looking at that, if there's records to request, getting, getting those um, and becoming a person who really knows how to to push for that type of information, um, I think has been really helpful. Yeah, definitely. So kind of looking towards the future, what are some of your goals or plans for your journalism career? Uh, for now, I think I still, I just want to keep getting better at what I'm doing. And I want to really, really focus on um, accountability. I think that uh, over the years, I've, I have also come to, to really just believe that the thing that I care most about is, is holding, um, holding powerful um, institutions to, to account and using uh, journalism to do that. I think that that for me is the most, the most powerful thing that we can do as journalists. And that's what I wanna focus on and really just keep doing and, and keep getting better at. Yeah, definitely. I'm looking forward to reading more of your articles in the future. What advice would you give to youth journalists who are trying to grow their skills in journalism? I think one is that 
just keep doing it. You know, that's how you learn with journalism. You just, you just learn by doing. You're not, nobody's ever gonna teach you in a classroom like the best interview technique. Um, you may hear things and pick things up here and there, um, but unless you're out there interviewing people, it's never gonna sort of, you know, settle in and become, become part of, of what you can do on a daily basis. So I would just say like, um, you know, do it however you can. If it's your family, if it's interviewing your family, do that and write a story based on that. Um, if it's interviewing like people in your school, do that um, and write, you know, write where you can. Um, and, and one other thing I would say is like, just be true to yourself. What are the things that you care about? What are the things that are interesting to you? The, and, and if you really focus on that, at the end of the day, I think you will be successful. You know, it's really being true to yourself, to your own voice and the things that you care about um, and, and become an expert in that and, and become the person who, who leads on those types of things. And I think that that, that ultimately will make anybody successful. Mm -hmm. That was such helpful advice. So in one sentence, what would you say to inspire Generation Z? You know, we need you. <laughs> I, think that, I think that's it. We need you. You know, we need the next generation of journalists coming up and telling us what's important, telling us what's going on with your, um, with your generation. Because a lot of times as you get older, you sort of lose touch with that, right? So we need you guys telling, telling your stories. Yeah, that was so inspiring. Thank you to Palma Esquivel for joining me for today's episode. This whole conversation was so engaging and I feel like I truly got to learn so much more about what being a journalist really is. Paloma Esquivel continues to write amazing articles in a variety of topics such as education, news, and features. Her skills in writing such intimate feature articles and ability to report on important current events continues to inspire youth journalists. You can find more of her work on the LA Times. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave a rating and a review to help this podcast reach more listeners. Again, thanks for tuning in to this episode and see you next Sunday at 7 a.m. PST. Catch you later.